0: Hi there, we have a favor to ask. If you're enjoying the DLC Live podcast and you're listening on a platform that lets you leave a rating or a review, leave us a five-star rating. Maybe take a minute to write a quick review. It really helps and we really appreciate it. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to DLC Live, your source for educational and inspirational interviews with mental health experts and advocates from around the world. Now, here's your host, Creator of the DLC Anxiety Worldwide Mental Health Community, Dean Stott.
1: So yeah, hey everyone. Right, we'll try again. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what's happening, but yeah, guys, thank you so much for coming on, Drew. Um, thank you, Kim. Uh, we're missing Josh today, but I'm sure he's here in spirit. Um, yeah, if we just go around the room. Uh, starting with you, Drew, just
0: tell everyone who you are, where they can find you on Instagram. Sure. Um, I'm Drew Linsalata. I am the creator and host of The Anxious Truth podcast and author of The Anxious Truth, which I don't have in front of me to wave in the camera. Oh, wow. I'm waiting for Josh to come behind you waving your book. He's there. I know he's hiding. My, bu-
1: my book's right behind my shoulder.
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you can find me here on Instagram at the.anxious.truth. So happy to be here.
1: Brilliant,
2: and you, Kim. I'm Kimberly Quinlan. I'm a marriage and family therapist, and you can see me here on on Instagram at Kimberly Quinlan. Um, it's K I M B E R L E Y Quinlan.
1: Brilliant, wonderful, Kim. Your signal was just going a little bit then, but hmm. I okay. Think, can you can you
0: see Kim alright, Drew? Yeah, she's breaking up a little bit, so yeah, she's coming back.
1: He's coming back. Fantastic. Right, guys. um, I know we've been, um, obviously we get questions all the time uh, from our lovely communities. Um, I want to start off with you, Drew, this time. Um, Just seeing um, what has your community been asking? Have you got three great questions that we can discuss and hopefully uh, come together with some answers for them?
0: Yeah, sure. I got more than three. This is good. So I'll pick three of them. Let's take the one that I think was probably the, along with anxiety, I have depression. Would I apply the same techniques for recovery? It's a very common question. I get asked this all the time.
1: Uh, that's a great question, isn't it? Um, I personally, um, so going from a personal level, uh, when I went through an anxiety disorder, I definitely had dips, uh, low low moods. So I definitely had dips in the mood, but I don't think uh, I was never diagnosed with depression. I do know... Um, with the statistics obviously you're more likely um, to have depression if you have an anxiety disorder uh, but um, the symptoms as well you've got anxiety symptoms and depression sy- symptoms some of them can overlap but some are also different so I think it's, um, it's really important to get the right diagnosis that, and I do think that the the practical way out of recovery is is different with uh, depression than anxiety. Is that right, Kim?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So let me know if I'm clear. Am I clear? Yeah, you're all good. Yeah. So from a, from a, I'm always going to come from a clinical standpoint because I, that's what I do. Um, The good news is, is that Anxiety and depression are really well treated under the lens of cognitive behavioral therapy, um, which we call CBT. Now, the way that I explain it and I, it was trained to me is in, with anxiety, you might actually be doing more behavioral work than cognitive work. What we know to be true with depression is you might do a little more cognitive work than behavioral work, but it very much depends on each person. The good news is so yes, you can use the same skills, um, but depending on whether you're if you're doing a lot of avoidance, let's say, whether you have anxiety or depression or both. If there's a lot of avoidance, we would do a lot of behavioral therapy, right? And, and get you back functioning. Um, but if you're doing a lot of mental rumination, we may do more cognitive work or more mindful work. But that's all under the umbrella of cognitive behavioral therapy. So, yeah, you would technically be using similar skills, um, but tweaking it depending
0: on your case. Yeah, and I would what... like to add to that. The uh... Okay, Dean, you first. No, i was just going to say, what have you got, Dre? I have, um, this is a question that comes up all the time in my community, and the thing that I would definitely like to add, since so many people that are following my stuff are, are used to hearing some of the Claire Week stuff like floating and accepting, and I know you guys talk about willful tolerance, but one critical thing, and I actually did a live with Allegra Castens about this not too long ago, where we talked about the fact that you do not just sit. And you don't sit with depression. Like there's always a challenge that has to come along with depression. So a lot of people get confused. Like when you're telling me to accept my anxiety, sit with it, float with it, that whole thing, surrender to it. Never with depression, there's, you always have to challenge depression. We don't Mm -hmm. sit and float and hope that it goes away. So there's, that's more of an active process. So, you know, it involves doing things that you don't really want to do a lot of times you know, almost faking it, acting as if, but you got to get out, you got to move your body, you have to be active, you have to do the things that you, you just don't want to do. But it makes a big difference. So it's not exactly the same, same principles, but you have to be active in depression for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I just saw one of the comments there, someone saying, what do you think the reason that depression takes so much energy out of you is? Oh,
0: that's a good well, question.
2: Depression, one of the symptoms of depression is that it removes a lot of your joy and pleasure. Um, And it it can really, again, sort of lower this general sense of energy and and mood. Um, When you are in a low mood, It's very hard to do even basic functioning. Um, And we have some science to sort of show that there's some, you know, hormones related to that. But it's also just that's what emotions do. As you know, when you feel sad, you don't feel like jumping on a trampoline. Um, So sadness, it will be more of an emotion that does bring you down and have a lower energy experience. So I think it's very much related to that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, So i just put, does negative thoughts, uh, is it the same as anxiety? Uh, So it all depends how you react to your thoughts. We can have a negative thought and um, realise that it's a negative thought and just treat it as that, and you wouldn't have an anxious response. However, if you start to shine a spotlight on this negative uh, thought and start to ruminate on it, then that could cause an anxiety response. So it's not the thought itself that causes the anxiety, it's your behaviour that you choose.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the negative thoughts usually are part of it. It's which comes first, the chicken and the egg is a hard question to to answer. Somebody mentioned that I want to really grab quickly. I saw somebody say, but how do you challenge? How do you challenge depression? Mm. So the answer to that usually is you have to challenge it by like doing things. You know, you don't want to get out of bed, but you have to get out of bed. You don't want to take a shower, but you have to shower. You want to just retreat and just sit and do nothing. But you have to try and get outside and get a little bit of sunshine. You have to feed yourself. You have to do it. That's how you challenge it. I found for me when I was going through my depressive episodes, it it became all about that. And in fact, if I feel that now, which sometimes I, I may be prone to that for the rest of my life. If I feel it coming on, one of the first things I do is I up my game in a big way. Sometimes it's faking it. But I'll try and work a little harder in the gym. I'll, I'll work out a little bit more. I'll, I'll get try and get a little bit more done. I'll get more organized in my business. I'll, I'll try to accomplish what I can accomplish. Not because I'm running away from the depression, but the challenge always helps. Like actually accomplishing things always helps for me if uh, that helps. That's yeah. how I challenge it.
1: For you, Drew, because what, what, obviously uh, in depression, like um, they mentioned about the – um, no energy and low mood. What What is it that gives you that spark for the initial response to get out of bed or, or to do that first thing? Is there something or is it just you're having to look deep inside you to
0: move? For me, I literally, when I was going through that, I just I just had to drag myself to do it. I had to drag myself into the bathroom to brush my teeth, shower and change my clothes like that was real. But that was an accomplishment, as crazy as it sounds. Just taking a shower and getting dressed was a, was a boost. Like, well, I did it, you know, I, something, it mattered. So, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. And, and usually, that what gets you there is the fact that it works. So if you do it once and you see that it works, that gives you a bit of a to do it again. What here's a little exercise that people can actually maybe apply right away, which is um, if someone has depression, and, and let's just sort of say negative thoughts when it comes to depression are really thoughts that are are on the negative bias we don't want to say your thought is a good thought or a bad thought it's got a negative bias so let's say someone has a thought like today is going to suck right i would have them go okay i'd like you to give me some kind of i want you to challenge that and give me a a good response to that right what would be a good response which might be well maybe there will be some good things (laughs) right? So you got everyone who's listening could go, okay, what is a good response to this negative thought? Then what you want to do is once you challenge that, you want to work at having a great response. A great response is like a little more evidence-based, like there will be some good things about the day and there is a chance that maybe something really great would happen or I'm going to see my friend today, right? So you're giving it a little more like little more punch. If you're really wanting to go Drew style, you could give a bad Jesus,
1: response, God.
2: right? A badass wow. response would be even taking the risk of saying, Today might be great, or I'm, I deserve to have a good day. So, you can, when it comes to depression, some people don't like positive thinking, and I'm not a super positive thinker, but it's okay to, to give the depression a kick in the butt by pushing it out of the way and going, No depression will not run my day today, like, and talking to it a little bit so that you're giving, you're really learning how to not let depressive thoughts bring you down. So that's sort of like a basic CBT skill for depression. Yeah, yeah. it's
1: really, think really, it's- really important what we focus on, isn't it? What we drag our attention to.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Right. And the expectations of that too, before I guess we move on to the next question, but, you know, giving, giving depression a kick in the butt doesn't mean you go from kind of stuck in bed to climbing the Matterhorn that day, like real isn't matter. So for me, it was just getting showered, getting dressed, maybe going outside and sitting outside for a little while, taking a, a short walk down the street. That was a kick in the butt. At some days that was about as good as it got, but it mattered, it mattered. So, you know, I, I and, think-
1: And yeah. did you change your outlook on that? So when you did that, did you say like, well done, I, I've done this. This is a big achievement on on the, steps, uh, the stepping stone out of recovery or did you just do it and then just go on to the next thing
0: it's a really good question dina I, I don't know if i can even answer that maybe some days i felt an immediate boost like hey i did a thing it's possible i think i did have days like that and other days it was just like well i don't know what i feel right now because in a way people always get nervous about depression like well i'm feeling low i'm feeling low depression isn't really for me wasn't about feeling low it Was about feeling nothing yeah so People that are feeling sad or having low thoughts, like, no, that's not generally depression. Like depression is was the absence of feeling anything. So there were times when I couldn't really conjure any feeling at all. I just knew like, oh, I have to do this and like change will happen incrementally. And it kind of and it did. So it worked out pretty well. Cool. Should we move on? Next question.
2: Let me just say for me with depression, and I've you know, I've had a couple of really difficult years because I've had an illness that I was working through as well. Is for me it was just talking to depression, going, You're not, you're not doing this with me today. Like I'm not letting you choose my choices. You're not going to choose how I spend my day. So for me, it was actually kind of getting up in its face and and saying, you're not taking this from me today. And that was really powerful.
0: Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Drew, what what
1: have you got there? Okay.
0: I'll give you another one. This is an easier one. It's a, it's a little lighter one. Let's say that caffeine. The question is about caffeine. Can caffeine cause anxiety?
1: All right I I'll start yeah so caffeine's one of one of the uh, it's one of the common ones we all get these common questions and alcohol let's just lump uh, yeah. it in let's do a
0: caffeine <laughs> and alcohol question <laughs>
1: um well I'll start I'll start with caffeine then Drew, Drew or Kim you can go with alcohol um yeah so caffeine can mimic the 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 anxious response so it can make us feel on edge it can make us feel nervous it can make us uh, it can make our heart race because it's a stimulant, so it's good for us in the mornings when we're tired and we just need that boost to to, to start the day off. However, if you're going through an anxiety disorder and you have caffeine and you have that response, you may then um, misinterpret it that as an anxious response and actually become fearful of the symptoms that you are getting. Sp- that is supposed to be that boost. So you can actually become fearful of the caffeine uh, and it can continue. It, it, again, it's just that anxiety loop, isn't it? And it's focusing on the caffeine. So uh, a lot of people say to me, should I cut, cut out an, um, caffeine uh, going through an anxiety disorder? It's, uh, if you're at the start of an anxiety disorder and you're worrying so much about all these symptoms, i probably say just, yeah, maybe lay off it a bit at the start. But if it's something that you enjoy doing, you can see yourself going down uh, the road to recovery, then there's nothing wrong in introducing uh, it back into your diet.
2: I agree. There's nothing I would add. Sometimes we use it as a receptive exposure, like we purposely have people drink coffee. But again, I think that Drew's right on is we wouldn't do that immediately. We would wait until you've got some skills to manage your anxiety and to stay away from rumination. And then we would introduce it, but not always.
0: Yeah, depends. I know um, for me, I, the only guy I would add, and I think the same answer is for alcohol too. So I'll lump alcohol in here too, because I know people are going to ask about that too. Yeah. And here's the way I always say, look, you have learned to be afraid of how you feel. That is, that is the, the, the basis of so many of these disorders. You have learned to fear your own body and the thoughts that you have. About your own body. So, anything that changes the way you feel physically, caffeine and alcohol also, because alcohol will change the way you feel. Some food will make you change the way you feel. That's true too. And the problem is that you are now terrified of any change in state in your body. So, if your heart rate goes up or you you feel a little foggy or you have that sort of buzz thing because you had a beer or two, that becomes this is danger, just like Dean was saying, panic attack. So, I think it's super important for people to not say, caffeine causes anxiety. Alcohol make, alcohol kicks off my anxiety. It doesn't. Alcohol just changes the way you feel. And then your interpretation and reaction to that, that's what makes the anxiety. So I always just like to add that. Like, There's power in that. Own the fact that it's your reaction that does it. It's not that Pepsi is evil. It's just you're afraid of what, how Pepsi makes you feel. That's all. And right. so then it can be a cool recovery tool. I know a lot of people... In my community, we we'll get to the point where it's like, "Hey guys, I think I'm going to have a glass of wine tonight," and they get really excited because they know it's going to be a little scary. But then it's like, "Oh, I did it!" You know, and they get really excited. So, cool. Well, what, yeah,
1: yeah what, what a beautiful community feel that is as well. Uh, and what you yeah. said, Drew, I think that 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 is a, yeah, perfect answer in the fact that. It, it's the response to the altered state isn't it so when we when someone has a physical symptom with anxiety it's that response to that physical symptom it's not that physical symptom itself um, so tying that in with caffeine and alcohol and like you say anything that raises your heart anything uh, that's a really good way of looking at it
0: yeah and marijuana all right yes, yes that's true too. true too. You want to do another one? Should we do yeah. three each or no? We'll yeah. do another one. All right, let's sounds good. One. Um, let's do. I had another one that I wanted to. Where was it? To flip through. Here we go. Is agoraphobia a kind of like OCD? So what? let's throw that to Kim. Yeah, she's let's our resident start with OCD. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: So um, under the umbrella, so just a quick uh, run through. So what we ha- we have what we call ob- OCD spectrum disorders. So under the umbrella of obsessive compulsive spectrum disorders agoraphobia does fall underneath that. It has its own diagnosis. It doesn't mean we're giving you a diagnosis of that, but yes, underneath the obsessive compulsive umbrella is health anxiety, social anxiety, phobias, um, generalized anxiety, um, any, like again, agoraphobia with panic disorder. So yeah, underneath that, in addition, hair pulling and skin picking. So there are. it goes under the umbrella, There are some tweaks to treatment, but ultimately yes, it does fall under that umbrella, but not the same diagnosis.
0: Yeah, but the the way we treat with, uh, so in other words, somebody who's dealing with uh, like a body focused, repetitive behaviors or that sort of stuff, or the other things that are focused in there, the treatment would look a little bit different though. For an agoraphobic, you know, you're really very behaviorally based and it's that incremental exposure and habituation and inhibitory learning that makes the difference. But it is really like ERP. It's the same sort of thing. I mean, there's really no difference. Exposure. It is. It's all ERP. It's all of it is. Everything is. Yeah.
2: yeah. So the only reason I make the differentiation is there are some disorders like hair pulling and skin picking that don't use ERP. But health things like phobias, agoraphobia, panic disorder, we all use ERP for these disorders. So absolutely. Yeah.
1: What would you use for that you, Kim? That's a good question. For
2: hair pulling and skin picking? Um, We use a different kind of cognitive behavioral therapy called habit reversal training. Um, So the emphasis, we don't do a lot of exposure unless really necessary. We work at behavioral modification by identifying the habit and changing behaviors
1: and sequences following that habit. So, So I was just asking, what does ERP stand for?
2: ERP is exposure and response prevention. So you would expose yourself to the fear you have, and then you would practice reducing and eliminating any kind of compulsive or avoidant behavior you do to relieve that anxiety or uncertainty that you feel. So you must have both. You must have the exposure, sometimes that's just by living or sometimes you have to plan it. Um, Once you have the exposure, you would then practice not engaging in safety behaviors. That's a response prevention.
0: The RP is the most important part. Always. Yes. Hardest part
2: too. (laughs) Life is the exposure.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. Kim, uh, what three questions do you have um, from your wonderful community?
2: Oh, my gosh. I could have written down 30 questions from (laughs) this week. They just went on fire. So I had a hard time picking. I tried to pick ones that we haven't maybe covered in previous um, lives. All right. This one I loved. Okay. How do I stop beating myself up for things I've done in the past?
0: Really good question. Um, Mm. Dream, I'll let you start. (laughs) You're going to throw that one at me? Uh, It's fine. Um, You know, look, I, I think full disclosure, this is not a problem that I've ever had. So I cannot come from experience in this one. So I'll just, I'll be honest with you about that. So I'm going based on just crowdsourcing with thousands of people. But I think it comes down to understanding, number one, you're doing it, so you know you're doing it, which is really good. I mean, that's kind of a first step is understanding that you're, you're engaging in that habit. But more than anything else, it's, it, that's that intolerance of not necessarily uncertainty, but distress. So I think rumination about past events, is a, that's really a distress intolerance problem, right? So – it could be genuinely something where somebody hurt your feelings or you did hurt somebody's feelings and they told you there was a conflict. There was – you did something wrong. I know people who have maybe broken the law a little bit here and there, little minor things, didn't get caught, and they, they ruminate on it for years and years and years. In the end, it comes down to saying, like, well, thinking about it isn't going to take away my distress over this. So – You're seeing thinking as a way to somehow bring that distress down, but it never does. And since you can't make, you can't think away the distress, it just gets worse and worse and worse and you get caught in that cycle. So to me, I would always say you have to recognize that cycle of thinking and understand, oh, I just have to let that feeling of guilt or remorse or regret be there. You know, I've done what I can do. I apologized. I returned the little, the candy bar that I stole, whatever it was. I did what I can do and now I just have to let that sit there and, I, and let it just go through me and I can work through it and then it can be gone. I can't think it away. So that's my, that's what yeah. I see when it comes to the no, definitely.
1: Yeah, It's all on acceptance, isn't it? Accepting the past because we can't, we can't rewrite the past, can we? We can only right. w- learn from it. Um, yes, we all may wanted to do things differently in, in certain situations, um, and it's really important to, to to know that you can't change the past. So living in the present is is really important. So that more of the mindful way of living um, and just rewriting the past with your own story, your own evaluation of it. So you could say, "Yes, I did this really bad thing, but hey, it's made me grow as a person." And going forward, if ever I was in that situation. I'd probably handle it a bit differently. Um, So yeah, that's what I probably got for it.
2: Right. Yeah, and all I would add is, I tend to find, and I'm being general, um, but I do tend to find that people with anxiety tend to beat themselves up more than most and for things that most people wouldn't beat themselves up for. So I've had patients come to me and say, I have just done this terrible thing and I'm so angry at myself. And then they'll tell me and I'll be like, that's what humans do. Like, <laughs> why are you beating yourself for that? So I think that it's also understanding that it is a chance you're beating yourself up for something that is just a human thing. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I that's love a, that. One, yeah. yeah. One of those cognitive distortions, we just magnify and distort everything. Like, oh yeah. wait a minute. I did that twice today myself. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah. So.
2: Right, I agree. Right, all right. Next question. Um, this is actually going back to our depression, and I'm curious to know your thoughts. Should you do, treat the depression first or the anxiety first?
1: Hmm. Really? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I I don't really have much experience on depression, so I wouldn't really want to. Um, step Only things that have obviously been spoken about in the community, but even when we have the experts on, it's always anxiety-related. Anxiety so I'm gonna I'm gonna dip out of this one and uh, send it over to you, Drew, because I just I, it's really important not to give um, the wrong information out if I don't have personal experience or experience that I've heard.
0: Yeah, which I I appreciate by the way, I really respect that. My experience with that is both. If that sounds right, you don't, and I know that sounds hard for people to understand. It's not that it's just, you they're not mutually exclusive. So you could be working on your anxiety and your depression at the same time. In fact, they are often so enmeshed that what I found for me is when I worked on one, the other would get better. When I worked on the other, the other would also get better. So what that taught me was like, I'm not actually working on two things. And you hear crazy cliches like anxiety and depression are two sides of the same coin. I don't have a real explanation for why that rings true other than my own personal experience saying, yes, if I, if I was working, getting better at the anxiety stuff, my depressive mood would begin to lift. And if I was challenging the depression, I would find that it was a little bit easier to work on the anxiety stuff at the same time. So it all went hand in hand, both. The answer is both.
1: Yeah, You don't
0: don't have to do one and then the other.
1: I don't know if either of you, there there has been some, um, some research studies into that exact statement that, they're thinking that it possibly could be two sides to the same coin under the same umbrella. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, yeah, we'll have to see what, what they get from that. But it is really interesting to hear that personal experience that you can definitely relate to
0: that. Right. Yeah. It all get better at the same time as crazy as that sounds.
2: Right. No, I agree with that. I agree with that because so often with anxiety, you have secondary depression just because anxiety is, a pain in the butt, right? And it, and it brings you down. So by treating anxiety, you're treating the depression. You know what I mean? So that can be very much the case. All right. Um, I, this one's for you specifically, Drew, because I thought you'd love this. Mm-hmm. Should I change my career if it... <laughs>
0: it's a setup. Huh? <laughs> this is a setup, isn't it? I can tell.
2: <laughs> Not at all. Um, should I change <laughs> my career if it is the root cause of my anxiety?
0: Should I change my career? Did I hear that you broke up a little? Should I change my career if it's the root cause of my anxiety? Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I mean, I know that, you know, I'm, I'm always the guy that's, like, you know, dumping all over the root cause stuff. But let, I will say this. I'll give you the answer that you probably don't expect me to say. No, recovery doesn't mean enduring crap. It doesn't. Like, if your job is stressful, if you're being mistreated there, if it's a hostile environment, if you feel like it's a dead end or you've chosen the wrong career and you want to make a life change, by all means – do that. Like, you know, dealing with anxiety or recovering from an anxiety disorder has nothing to do with enduring abuse or bad conditions or, you know, just dealing with maybe a mistaken choice that you made. I, I took the wrong job. I shouldn't have taken that. Okay, then you can make those changes. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But of course, I have to add to that. You can't just say, Well, I'll change my job and that will that will change my anxiety. Because if you are actually <laughs> afraid of the anxiety itself and are living an avoidant lifestyle because of the anxiety and its symptoms, then changing your job isn't gonna fix that necessarily. It's so you have f- to do all yeah. of those things.
1: It's not just the fear of yeah, the anxiety, it, isn't it?
0: A little bit. It could be an avoidance thing. So just make sure you're not doing it because oh, every time I go to work, my heart races. Is it because you truly do not enjoy your work and it's not a good environment or it's not a healthy environment? Or is it just because you've glued – because that's really the one fear. I'm afraid of how I feel. Now I'm just going to glue that fear to every place where it happens. And sometimes it happens at work and then people will think, well, yeah, it's work. It's Work is causing it. Oh, but also the highway is causing it. Oh, and also the supermarket causes it. Oh, and also scary movies cause it. So you have to be careful in that assessment. Yeah. But if you don't like your job, you can change your job. That's a good – I would.
1: Yeah. No, that's a perfect way of explaining it, especially because I have (laughs) panic attacks, for example, in a mall. So at first I started to uh, not go to the mall as often. Um, So, yeah, if you're using that same analogy um, in the workplace and it's because you're in work and that's where you are getting the scary symptoms that you're actually afraid of. And it's not due to the anxieties that your boss is uh, putting on you because of workloads and things like that. Um, it's definitely, yeah, there's definitely a fine line, uh, and it's, yeah, like you say, it's a form of reassurance, isn't it, um, avo- avoiding the situation, so um, definitely see if it, if you are um, avoiding the anxiety, or you, like you said, just the job sucks and you want to change. Right, right, okay.
2: Uh, that's, do you want more, or do you want, is that it?
1: Um... I- Go with one more, and I, then I've got three, a
2: few questions. Well, I think we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but I love I love any question around motivation. It seems to be one of the biggest questions that I get. So how might I find motivation to fight the compulsions when I'm
1: exhausted? How do you find motivation? So it's similar to the qu- uh, question I asked you, Drew, wasn't it, about motivation um, when you're in a depressive state. Um, Yeah, for me, it was setting small goals. And and every time I I reached that small goal, I really would um, reward myself like, well done, you've done a great job. Changing that inner critic was really important to me. Um, because the inner critic was always putting me down, saying, oh, you're not going to do this. You're never going to be able to go shopping. You might as well start um, shopping online because going to the malls is not for you. Um, so it was, yeah, rewriting that inner critic, which has probably been built up for um, t- many, many years. And it doesn't, doesn't work overnight. So when people um, start on the journey to recovery, Um, A lot of people say, oh, it didn't work the first few times I did it. I'd even challenge them and say it might not work the first four weeks, five weeks of doing it. But you need to hang in there. You need to trust the process and know that by exposing yourself to the fearful situations given in in a panic disorder uh, and being comfortable with the feelings, knowing that they're not going to harm you, and knowing that um, once, yeah, once you learn about the symptoms and learn that the situation you're in isn't fearful, then it's really important. And, and that motivated me to continue. So I just put, Dean, did you ever take public transport to the mall rather than your car? I, I always drove personally, uh, but I would have taken public transport, it, though it wasn't a form of avoidance. I just always went in the car. Um, Yeah, Drew.
0: How do you find motivation to, to resist the compulsions when you're tired? Well, first of all, I think you have to acknowledge that, that the fatigue plays a factor. There's no doubt about that. I know in my personal experience and talking with as many people as I do, fatigue does make things harder. Not impossible, though, right? Not impossible. So there, to me, there's two things there. There's a, there's, a over, there's a distortion and a magnification of the role of fatigue. So I'm sleep-deprived today. I'm really tired. I've been sleeping so well. So therefore, I'm screwed this is going to this is going to be terrible it's going to be horrible no you're just going to be tired maybe a little less resilient you won't have as much energy you might be a little more prone to those thoughts getting stickier today you can acknowledge that just don't conflate it into a guaranteed nightmare because you didn't sleep that's a distortion and so we have to catch that but the second thing i think is once you know like well today might be a little bit of a difficult day so maybe my Maybe my ERP is going to be a little shorter today. Like you know, Kim told me to do it for 20 minutes. Maybe I can get 15 today and see how I feel. That's okay. I think that's okay because you have to, you know, understand you still accomplish something. But the motivation in the end has to come from, I really would much rather not live this way. Yeah. I think that comes down to it that sometimes people always say like any tips for getting motivated and that's a hard one. Like motivation has to come from, I, I want to get better more than I want to avoid the discomfort today. And I think ERP, whatever it is, whether it's mental or there's actual physical exposures going on, is more difficult when you're tired. The fear seems worse; it just does. So I don't know why, but you just have to you just have to find that spark that says, "I'll let me at least do something." Right. And for me, I used to think like honestly, what I would do when I was really having really exhausted days, and I'm a terrible sleeper, and I was a worse sleeper even back then. I would be like, all right, you know what, let me just go back and revisit an exposure that I've been really that I've been good at, that I was good at a month ago. I'll just do that. I'll repeat that. And invariably, I would do that and say, like, oh, I could keep going. I, I could actually keep going. So it, it would help me to circle back a little bit, start with a little tiny goal. And it would turn into like, oh, yeah, I did. I did beat my goal for the day, even though I was tired or felt like crap. Right.
1: Drew, um, yeah. just, a, just a question uh, with fitness, because I know how important it is, for your exercise um that you do uh, weekly um would you if you skipped today um would you then be hard on yourself for doing it
0: no i was never hard on myself for that i kind of knew when i was supposed to um you know so i mean i don't want to get into too much detail but you know there were days when i would literally like unrack a weight i'd finish i want to remember i was in the gym once I, I finished at a bench press and i sat up and i literally burst into tears and i'm like Okay, I, I de-racked the weights. I got my back and I went home. I'm like, clearly I need a couple of days of rest here because that will tax your nervous system a little bit. But no, I never really did that. I was never obsessive about that or like I, if I don't exercise today, I'm going to have a problem. So I didn't really have that problem. It was just like, well, I, I'm going to rest today. And some days I would just goof off and not go. And I would be like, yeah. oh, I guess it was a goof off day. Oh, well. I didn't like it, but I didn't beat myself up over it. Let's wow. go the next day. Yeah.
1: Right. That makes sense. I will – get some questions over to you guys.
0: Um, I love the comments. There's so many good people helping each other in the comments. I love that.
1: Um, So on the question bit, it's not actually showing me the questions. I'm just literally tapping on them. And I don't know what question's going to come up, um, but okay, I, I guess it's kind of interesting. Um, he says our brains apps a symptom of anxiety, so we do get asked a lot of symptom questions. Um, it's probably the number one thing uh, that, that we get asked. Um, I'd just start off by saying if you have any undiagnosed symptom, make sure to go to your doctor because, yes, it may be a symptom of anxiety, but if it isn't, it's really important to have the right tests and the right diagnosis. And then you should take reassurance um, from the doctor if they tell you that it is anxiety um, because then you know that it can't harm you. Yeah.
2: And also with medication. So also if you're having those symptoms, you may want to ask about your medication side effects as well um, with brain zaps, that's not uncommon for an SSRI.
0: Yeah. It- very common. Especially if you're changing dosage. Yeah. I yeah, used to hear that all, all the time. It's like
1: the, the withdrawal uh, from it, isn't it?
0: Yeah. It was one thing that, you know, I talked about my withdrawal experience a few weeks ago on the podcast. I never had that symptom, the brain zaps, but almost all of my friends that were going through SSI withdrawal, anytime they would adjust their dose, they would experience that. I don't even know. I don't know what it feels like, but I understand it's certainly not. Pleasant at all.
1: So it doesn't, it doesn't sound it good, be. does it, Bray? Yeah.
0: No, no, it doesn't <laughs> sound good at all. So it could be meds related.
1: Yeah, um, I
2: think you or see a doctor, right? And then, yeah. and it's anxiety, well, then you would
1: practice the anxiety skills. Oh, I don't, I don't like that. i can't see the questions, but I'm just going to click on them. Uh, what's the number one thing to determine if something is anxiety or if something is actually wrong with me internally? And um, so, yeah, that
0: passes on from that last question. Drew, do you want to start off with that? Yeah, sure. You don't know. People hate when I answer this question this way. But in the end, we have to recognize that we will never 100% know. Like, we never know. We literally never know. My shoulder hurts every day because I have a problem with my rotator cuff. But tomorrow when it hurts, it is possible that it's indicative of another problem that I don't know about. It's possible but it's not likely, right? So you have to understand that you are viewing those symptoms through this magnification and distortion lens that is irrational fear that says, well, that possibility, that 2% chance that it might be something real becomes an 82% chance or anything that's non-zero is unacceptable to me. So the first thing, the answer to how do I know if it's anxiety or don't is to accept that you don't ever 100% know. And actually the question that you're asking is, Please tell me how to seek 100% certainty that it's just anxiety. And the answer is you will never, ever get that. You just have to go based on the odds and understand that you are, you are magnifying the threat beyond what it really is, especially after you've been checked, like Dean and Kim said. You get checked out. You get that reassurance. you got to clean, you know, bill health. What if he missed it? What if the doctor missed it? What if she did the wrong test? What if the lab technician was having a bad day? You don't ever know that. You just yeah. don't, and I know that's not the popular answer, but that's true. And you have to learn to tolerate that little tiny slice slice of uncertainty that you have blown into a giant slice of uncertainty. There you go,
1: Kim.
2: Okay. Yeah, so I think what what's really happening in this question, and I'm making the assumption is that this is some health anxiety, right? That when we have health anxiety, we want to um, we we constantly get alarmed that a symptom is a, as a overall symptom of a much much bigger problem the thing to remember here and this is a conversation i have always with my clients is our body is going to have aches and pains and it's going to have symptoms and things that are um will seem bizarre and strange to you but that's also a part of being a human right to feel different sensations and strange things I, often what people will do is even a small degree of a sensation will mean that that they have to know like Drew said i must have 100% so uncertainty so when i when i'm treating people with health anxiety what i'll often do is set a, a few rules for them in terms of when to seek treatment from a from a mental health medical provider or not like if i have a sore arm my job isn't actually to ruminate about whether that's a terrible terrible disease or and whether i should go to the doctor my job is to be patient with that symptom and allow it to rise and fall on its own. If it doesn't rise and fall on its own and it progressively gets worse and worse, well, then of course. But I think the thing around that is learning how to tolerate discomfort in our body without needing certainty and removal of that, that sensation. Because, you know, a few months ago, my son woke up. I'll tell you a story. He woke up and he literally couldn't walk. He just, he's six, and he got up, and he could not put his legs to the floor. We had to carry him everywhere, and, of course, oh, I was like, freaking out. That's but that's the doctor said, this happens. Kids sometimes get something in their hip, and you just have to wait. And all I could think of is, like, wait? Like wait. <laughs> and, and she said, no, you have to give the body some time to work itself out. Right. And sometimes our body do heal and repair. So if for the person with anxiety, it's to recognize that one symptom, even if it's two out of 10 on the pain scale, doesn't mean you need to resolve and fix that.
0: Yeah. I I just want to add one quick thing before we kick the dean, I guess, is I always also try and tell people what we act on is impairment, not a fear of future impairment. So are you actually impaired right now or are you worried that this sensation might indicate that there will be a, an apparent down the road. Yeah. So we have medical professions to treat injuries and illnesses, not to predict them. Mm-hmm. Put it to you that way. So be be cognizant of that.
1: Did any of you to um, fall down the rabbit hole with Doctor Google?
2: I don't. I mean, I have a bunch of. I've had. I think I've shared in, in before. I've had my own medical struggles um and they're unknown too like the doctors are all like we don't know what you have and i've done a lot of work around this i i never you know i've learned to never trust google for that kind of information you have a part of being uncertain is also trusting in your doctors right and so you know it's it's allowing going to the doctor hearing what they have to say you can get a second opinion. We don't encourage it if you have health anxiety, um, but no, I I have learnt not to use Doctor Google.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, uh, definitely a rabbit hole that, I've, that I fell down um, um, going through the anxiety disorder. Just with every like anxiety, it throws new symptoms at you every week, doesn't it? And yeah, the rabbit hole really can. Um, it, it can get you stuck in there thinking some really. Um, some really crazy things, really. um And my like, like uh, I don't know if it was you who said, "Drew, um, go into the doctor." The doctor telling you you're okay, but then saying, "Well, doctors get it wrong. Maybe he's having a bad day. Maybe I need to try another doctor." But yeah, I guess uh, you you have to sit with the uncertainty, or you'd be going to the doctors every single day, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And plus, that that's that realization that I think Josh brought this up when when we were the four of us were together, like. Look at all the uncertainty you accept in the rest of your life. Like driving in a car is way more uncertain than what's going on in your body right now, Right. but that you're okay with this particular uncertainty. It's actually the not knowing posting that you, that you put up today. This uncertainty I've determined is not acceptable and I will give it all my attention. All the other uncertainty. Yeah, that's cool. Why? Yeah. yeah. So realize uh, that,
1: that. Yeah. So many good comments on that post as well. Um, if the people Um, in the chat if they haven't seen it go and go and head over there yeah the comments have been lovely i'll ask one more question from the question box and then we will tell the followers where they can um, find both of you so like i said i can't see the questions that just coming up um i feel that what i feel give me more anxiety than my all right. So I've, I the feelings uh, give them more anxiety than their thoughts. It's like I feel scared of feeling something because I don't I can't read the last bit of it. But you get the gist of that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: So, um, the
2: thing to remember here is that I, I know we have a lot of emphasis on intrusive thoughts, but it's important to recognize that some people have more what we would call an intrusive feeling. Some have an intrusive sensation. Some people have an intrusive urge or an image too. And we actually treat them all the same, right? So we wouldn't give extra um, emphasis or importance to a feeling than we would an intrusive thought or vice versa. Our job is actually to allow that feeling without judgment and without trying to solve its meaning, right? So a lot of people will say, oh, I have this bad feeling. I feel like I feel like something bad's going to happen, right? And so what we would say is that's well technically that's still a thought, but this feeling, this um group of sensations because that's what a feeling ultimately is, um is there and your job then isn't to buy into it, particularly if it's repetitive and particularly if it gets you acting and responding in a really ineffective way. Um and so ultimately, and I know I'm curious to know your thoughts drew is your job is to have the feeling and practice riding that feeling like it's a wave and not mm-hmm. while you're riding it out, not getting engaged in what does this mean, what what will happen in the future, uh, you know, and so forth.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't add a whole lot to that other than, again, the recognition, the understanding of what am I doing here? I'm acting based on what it feels like, what it feels like, what it feels like. You know, and, and, and a lot of times I try and, you know, kind of always tongue-in-cheek, tongue in but I'll try and tell people, like, the phrase feels like is forbidden. It has to be stricken from your vocabulary right now. Or I'll say, well, tell me exactly what happened. When somebody say, oh, it was terrible, it was awful, I did this thing and it was awful. I would say, okay, well, tell me what happened. You're not allowed to use the word feels like. You can't use the phrase feels like. And they have a very difficult time now mm-hmm. relating where the actual disaster was because there was none other than it felt like there would be a disaster. Mm -hmm. So I think, Kim, what you brought up is kind of perfect. You have to understand like, well, it feels like something, but that doesn't mean it is something. So I'm just going to have to let that feeling be there. And when you do that again and again and again, you learn that the feels like never came true. I mean, I I keep feeling like I'm going to win the lottery and damn, it's just not, it's not happening. (laughs) That feels like yeah so you, could, same you thing, gotta play you know.
1: it though drew you gotta play it <laughs> oh that's my goof
0: damn it thanks
1: and dean <laughs> yeah also with anxiety um a lot of the times we uh, people get anxious and not actually know the specific trigger so they won't know that it's from a feeling or from a thought or from the behavior that they're doing so i think it's important what like you say to uh, like you said kim how it's tre how it's treated all the same isn't it whether it's the thought the feeling the behavior the emotion um but yeah i think they're really really good answers from you guys and i think that's a great place to continue kim with her <laughs> <laughs> good recovery
0: <laughs> yeah. well, what were
1: you what were you going to add it's a, just a
2: cognitive distortion called emotional reasoning that you, just because you feel it, you think it's true. Um, that's a distortion. You could people, that's one thing people could Google is emotional
1: reasoning. It's a common cognitive distortion. And I guess that's the same. I guess that's the same with thinking as well. And it just, cause you think it doesn't mean that it's true.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I'm doing a live on Monday. You guys should come to my live on Monday. We're going to actually go through the cognitive distortions, including mm-hmm. emotional reasoning. Yeah, cool. yeah, it was requested. So, you know, you got to take requests sometimes.
1: What times? time is the live on?
0: Oh, uh, I think it's six o'clock. I'll post it on my stories if you guys follow me. I think it's 6 p.m. Eastern, I think.
1: Fantastic. So, guys, if you just want to tell everyone who may not have been here at the start where they can find you, um, thank you so much for coming on and answering the questions. It's been a pleasure speaking to you both. It's always yeah. a good time.
2: It was great. Thank you for having me. Um, You can get me at Kimberly Quinlan um, on Instagram or you can, you know, I have a website called CBTSchool.com or a podcast called Your Anxiety Toolkit.
0: Really good too. Um, You can get me here on Instagram, the.anxious.truth. And I saw you people asking. My podcast is called The Anxious Truth. Just search it anywhere, and it happens to be the same title as I don't know this book, which, by the way, is outselling—by the way, outselling Eric Fromm and Carl Jung in behavioral psychology for the last week. Just saying. I'm just and B.F. Skinner. Oh just my saying. Gosh, that is really <laughs> funny. That's that's such a nerdy thing to say, though. But <laughs> <laughs> I had to say it anyway. <laughs> no, some of Screw you, you be Eric Fromm. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Anyway, um,
0: thanks, Dean. This is always so much fun.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, And enjoy the weekend. I hope it warms up for you, Drew. Me too. All right. Take it easy, guys.
0: guys. See you next week. Always a good time. Later. You've been listening to DLC Live. Be sure to follow Dean on Instagram at dlcanxiety. Check our website at dlcanxiety.com. And grab yourself a copy of our latest book, Untangle Your Anxiety, on Amazon today. See you next time.